The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Why is shame such a powerful emotion? How does it affect us mentally, physically, emotionally? I'm Nadia Davis. I'm a mom, author, attorney, and kundalini yoga teacher who has experienced public shaming that brought me to my knees. On this podcast, I'm going to tell you how I'm living the work taking shame out of the shadows. I'll give you real-life advice and skills to take away with you throughout your day. You'll hear from powerful guests who have overcome trauma and emerged stronger than ever. You too can ban the shame within and around you. Join me. You are not alone. I'm Nadia Davis, a mom, attorney, kundalini yoga teacher, and author of Home is Within You, a memoir of recovery and redemption and a roadmap for all out of the choking grasp of shame. We all struggle. Every one of us has struggles, whether it be in relationships, finances, um, parenting, whatever it might be, mental health or addiction related. So why is it that it seems we live in a society and a mind that shames those struggles? And most importantly, why is it even important that we care about that? I believe that shame is the strongest emotion that separates us from our true selves and from each other. One of the strongest emotions. And we all deserve, we all deserve a safe place to share, cry, and be vulnerable. And I'm here to share that if you can't find that place outside you, there's a better place, and that is within you. I speak from a place of surviving public shaming on a scale that brought me to my knees. But more importantly, I let it prevent me from acknowledging and facing and finding the sources of shame that had already existed in me. I think the most important part of all of this podcast and the book is in chapter two, where I explain the patterns of beliefs and behaviors that were set in place as a child that can provide Um, a roadmap for anybody to to reflect back and to see the the basic kind of infrastructure that that we all have when we enter adulthood. And for me personally, it was a seven-year long, arduous path journey to return to the truth within me. It included 12-step recovery, a lot of trauma therapy, and kundalini yoga. It was truly in kundalini yoga that I began to feel safe and calm within my body and that eventually I even realized 
I am not a body nor the thoughts my mind makes. That is the title of chapter two. It's Dear Son, You Are Not a Body Nor the Thoughts Your Mind Makes. What do I mean by that? Hopefully, this will show you. Now, I met Priya Jane many years ago. Let's see, seven, eight years ago. And she is a renowned, known, respected spiritual leader and mentor to many. And it occurred to me, she also has her story. We don't just come to this place of awareness. And what a wonderful thing it would be to dive into her journey in seeking the truth. And what I have read and seen is this core, like inherent curiosity, this inherent curiosity into like what is. And so I wanted to start from a place of, you know, in growing up in the northern part of India, correct? Yes. And I remember reading the the little girl that that curiosity when you explained going to a neighbor's home and the photo was there and and that really is that initial curiosity that anybody can tap into that anybody can feed and so from that and this connection that you had there kind of was there was a separation and then something happened that drove you back to that same curiosity as a little girl and evolved into what is now seventh chakra yoga institute of spiritual sciences and a wonderful place so priya tell me about the little girl in you hmm. It's been so long since I thought about her, but she exists in me all the time, operating and playing through me. So if I look back, I had the exact same curiosity as I do today. I think it's part of my soul. It's part of my soul's personality. But not all of us get the appropriate environment that nurtures that curiosity. So India, where I was born, is a land of a lot of traditions. The cultural um, tendencies are pretty much preset within the social economic structure. And so curiosity has its space, hmm. but it's limited. So when I would inquire so about... limited. Yeah, because it's, it's set hmm. in its ways, it's predetermined mm -hmm. ideas of, mm. let's say, if I was born and raised in a Jain family. Not everybody knows about Jainism. But Jainism is a, is a religion that strongly believes in nonviolence against any and all living creatures. Mm. And it's a thousand plus year old, you know, mm -hmm. religion. But as that religion keeps getting handed down generation to generation and nobody becomes curious about the original intent, it turns into tradition. 
And traditions are not usually explained. They're simply handed down. They're meant to be taken on face value. This is who we are. This is what we do. Therefore, you do it. Right. So part of my own curiosity and asking questions were usually met by the limitedness of a lack of curiosity in the people around me. They never oh, questioned yeah. it. So how could they provide answers to me? So that curiosity kind of remained inward, inside. And talk about shame as I was listening to your beautiful words about shame. And I don't think we can define it necessarily as shame, but you start to feel awkward. I think that's what shame begins as, feeling awkward and not mm. fitting in. Like I started to feel awkward about my curiosity because I wasn't hearing anyone else asking these questions. Awkward. And so, so that little girl, into that. Hmm. So, we can explain we're bringing shame out of the shadows and facing it directly and w asking ourselves, why is shame such a powerful emotion and how does it damage us mentally? But I think it begins as a feeling of feeling awkward in a setting that seems a little more assured of itself. Mm. So if the outer setting is already predetermined and assured, it is preset. If I bring in an element that doesn't fit in or belong in that preset environment, it'll create a sensation of awkwardness within me. And that's the beginning of the folding in, folding inwards. Of separateness, would you say? Separateness, like, yeah. Stepping, like feeling that I don't belong in this and that is the beginning of shame. Shaming, How the goal of shaming is pushing somebody out. Sorry, say that again? How did that awkwardness feel like at your core? Do you remember that as a little girl? Oh, yeah. I still, I can feel that if I recall that moment or those times growing up because it didn't just end there. It followed me throughout my early adulthood life and then the middle life, if I may say so, until... I found and acknowledged that the only person who can really quench the thirst of the answers I'm looking for is me. Do you believe or how did the, the minds, the ego minds operation for uh, the need to understand, to identify, to associate with, any one of the practices that you were exposed to did, how did that part of our mental functioning um, and send messages or what kinds of thoughts were, this doesn't feel right. Um, mm -hmm. And was it the functioning of our ego mind and not being aware that it is seeking that validation mm. um, part of it? Reflecting back. Now, the good news is that my parents weren't rigid in any of the structures. Mm -hmm. So think about they they were treading uh, into religiousness or spirituality, but with an arm's length. So nothing was nothing was forced on me, the except the, except the vegetarianism. You know, that's the only way I knew because that's how we were raised. 
But mm-hmm. I did have my curiosity and wherever I would go, whether I would, my grandmother would take me to all, to meet all these Jain, I would, you can call them priests. And I would just sit next to her and observe their conversations. And still the curiosity was there. And I found one person who was actually very, very encouraging of that curiosity, but I didn't get to hang out with that priest too long. She, they moved away. But most of my observation was that people came to these these so-called religious gatherings, not for the spiritual. I didn't even understand what spirituality was. Like there was nothing real in those conversations. It was more about social bantering. Mm. And that kind of edged on gossiping. And so I withdrew from that. So to me, mm, that's not the place I want to be. Oh, interesting. And obviously, like any other teenager, once we come into our teenage years, all of that stuff is pretty uncool. (laughs) So stepping away from that, but the curiosity and observation about looking for things that don't belong were strong in me. For example, Mm. if we would go to get the blessing of the priest or go to a temple, a Hindu temple, I would go everywhere with my friends and everything. I would always be observant of what is it that doesn't feel true or right in the space. Was that part of the awkwardness feeling later, kind of a deeper understanding of it? Or are they two, were they two kind of separate? Two, two separate things. Separate things. The things. awkwardness became just my own, a secret space within me. Okay. Because I would find that when I would express that curiosity, for which most of the time I didn't even have vocabulary for, when I would try to express it, I would, the gazes that would fall upon me looked like, what's wrong with you? Okay, that's shame. Why, 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 Why can't you just be normal? Follow the protocol that we have been doing, everybody's been doing for generations, and you will be fine. That's the promise we're all made, aren't? Isn't it? But each of so our right senses, right then and there, in that mm-hmm. feeling and hearing that, or or uh, interpreting that, both probably. <laughs> yes, that's where the fears and the judgments of self and others and all of that can come up. And in banning shame, we you now can look back and reflect how the fears and judgments then created the weird feeling we call shame. We're trying to put it, describe Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And it for you came in an awkwardness and a subtle separation. Am I understanding? Yeah, as a sense of not belonging in particular groups or conversations or areas that didn't feel real to me. So my search now looking back was always about authenticity. I was always looking for what's real and what's authentic Um, in everything, in every conversation, mm -hmm. in every place I went. And so I was very observant as a child. I was quiet, but was observant all the time. And that same part of that personality is still in me, very much alive and present here, constantly looking for authenticity and realness. And even though I didn't understand what God is, I didn't understand what spirituality is, I knew that is the only thing that is that I can hold on to. Authenticity. 
Yes. Is it the same as truth to you? What, what describe what you thought? Hmm. Is authenticity the same thing as truth? The word truth has to be debated about because there can be many truths, our individual truths, our collective what truths, was our cultural truths. To, you? To, to me, authenticity always felt like within a conversation or a discussion or in a place, is the essence, the root of that conversation leading to a big, deeper meaning, a deeper mm. place of me understanding myself. To me, mm. that is authenticity. And we have this little nose, like an internal nose as human beings. You know, we're all seeking that. We are like sniffing that out in each other. And yes. if you find that in another person, we go, there's something here that can reflect back to me, give me a, a little reflection of a piece of myself that I'm missing. Mm -hmm. But when that piece is rejected, when that reflection is withheld, and that's, mm -hmm. like you said, the separation is felt, it creates a little room inside of us that is very private. And yes. like I said, it begins with a feeling of awkwardness. And then over time, that room really gets the nameplate that says shame. That mm. I'm not allowed to feel this way. I am not allowed to experiment in this realm. I am not allowed to make a mistake. Was there a level of pain in that yearning prior to that? Uh, I would not call that pain. I would simply call, I, the, if I can feel it somatically in my body, I feel like I, I felt boxed in. Okay. Just imprisoned in a box. Okay. That I wasn't allowed to think outside of it, act outside of it, experience anything outside of it. This was my little well, and I'm the frog that belongs to it. Mm -hmm. So I also find a lot of people self-shame or feel shame when they step outside of their box, whether it be familial right. or cultural, you know, national. <laughs> so whatever that is for us. But our human spirit is free. It is not bound by any of these constructs. And that's where I think the dichotomy and the conflict begins in us. And the more we resolve for that, the more we give ourselves the permission that I am allowed to make mistakes. Right. I am allowed to experiment with my life until I find myself. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm allowed to fall flat on my face in failure. And there's nothing wrong with that. Until we start hearing those statements from ourselves, that box of shame controls us. Right. It holds us back. It imprisons us. So your work and your effort that you're doing in banning shame is literally a call to people's souls. Hey, open that box. <laughs> you don't need it. Right. You are allowed to mess up because shame and messing up kind of go hand in hand. A feeling of messing up, that awkwardness again, like mm -hmm. begins from a place of awkwardness and snowballs into this. You're not enough. Yeah. Freezing, incapacitating 
experience in the body and mind and emotions of shame, which then perpetuates guilt. And it's a vicious cycle that doesn't allow us to grow and experience ourselves for ourselves. We are meant to make mistakes. We are meant to hit into and slam into failures. We but are meant to we slack do off. with it now. Correct. So we ourselves are the prisoners and we ourselves are the jailers and we ourselves hold the key. Right. It's all us, no matter what the outside world is doing or not doing. Okay. From that curiosity and then the longing for authenticity as a little girl, and feeling the awkwardness, you know, and separation. How did that, I see it as a truth within you, the, the calling, the, the longing for authenticity was calling you back, was to, to stay within your truth. Mm-hmm. How, how then was that kept within you? Um, I I don't know if it was the the power of sound, if it was um, you know I think you were thirteen mm. when the longing increased more and you sought more. Can you explain that part? Mm. Like I said, the longing was always there, but when mm. I came across Guru Nanak again. Just the authenticity and the truthfulness that I felt in him and his spirit kind of woke that up again in me. Mm. But I was a teenager. I was stepping into teenage years. And now, Mm -hmm. again, a conflict arises, this thing that I yearn to explore and that Mm -hmm. which I should be exploring are two different things. The hormones are raging. The interest in boys (laughs) is increasing, you know, and wanting to fit in is huge as a teenager. Right. It's a natural process versus the authenticity of the soul. So I kept that authenticity and my seeking and my connection to that space like in a very private space within me. Mm-hmm. I could do that in my own hours when I was alone or could listen to something, but it stayed with me as a very, very private part, dimension of myself. You're always there. But it was always there. Okay. And my need to fit in into the world, to get validation from the world, obviously took the surface. Overcome the awkwardness. Yeah. So my ego was invested now in getting to be seen by my friends, getting to fitting into friendships or society or culture or proving myself through my academics or whatever that was. Mm -hmm. However, I sought an identity for myself. Mm-hmm. as a daughter or as a friend or, you know, all the roles that we play. So, but that part of me remained. It remained in that sacred chamber. It just never got answers. I was still looking. The observation continued. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't that- until my first Kundalini class and that experience that I'm like, oh, what is this? It, there weren't direct answers but it was an experience that got evoked inside my body and my mm-hmm. mind that I felt here, here is something. 
And I, ha again, had no words to explain it, but I just felt that there's something here. There's something here that I've been seeking, but I don't know what it is, so I'm going to explore it. That's when I jumped into teacher training after taking just two classes in Kundalini Yoga. That's what got me into it. And that mm. then became my bedrock, you know, it's like, that's my solid space from where now I can just start exploring. And in any of these explorations, we come across a lot of like minefields of exploitations or things that want to capture you or hook you or get you subscribed to a certain way of thinking. And that's what we have to be mindful of when we navigate this cu curious state of our being, but without shame even if we do get caught up. And that's a self-permission that I, I think I started giving myself once I had my son, because the way I would raise my son and talk to him is the way I started talking to myself. So if I would tell him it's okay to mess up, it's okay if you spilled water, let's clean it up, it's okay. And I, I start to see, I'm, I started talking to myself about it. Mm -hmm. And so that permission grew over time. Self-permission grew. I'm okay to mess up. Mm -hmm. In fact, just before we get on the podcast with you, I was talking to this 16-year-old who's super stressed about finding her or getting into her dream school. And, mm -hmm. and that's kind of decapacitating her. And I was mm -hmm. sharing with her this experience that that which I thought I wanted the most and would have dedicated my entire being and life towards. If I didn't get that, does that change who I am? Or do I feel shame for that? Mm -hmm. That's do I criticize myself for that? Endlessly to the point of feeling incapacitated to do anything. And we can't who get am to I? the question of, does this change? my true self, often when the shame is there. And in, in that moment um, with the girl, how did, you, how did you help her to move from a state of total disconnection with shame to then see, okay, these fears, these, these judgments um, are just that, but they're not me. I think it's very important to first help a person understand that there's multiple you within you. Because when a thought comes, it simply combines all those inner narratives and claims them as me. I am mm -hmm. a failure. I am not good enough. So the, the first step is to help somebody understand that within you there is the ego, which is so good at what it does. <laughs> it's very single-pointedly focused at the goals it set for itself. And it'll protect those goals with all its might, even if it means sending out narratives and criticizing you. So there is the ego. There's you, just your aware consciousness. And then there is your soul. Your soul knows what it needs. Your ego knows what it wants. And when the want take precedence over the needs, 
it creates a disimbalance in our sense of identity. Now I start right. to identify with my failure. Now I start to identify with my fears. Now I start to identify with the places I lack. Right. And that is the beginning of shame. But if we understand the that the intention of poor ego is really to help us move forward, but within that attempt, it actually holds us back. In unawareness. In unawareness. When, when we're unaware. Yeah. I call that space right in the middle home. Yeah. The, yeah. the ego mind observation mm -hmm. in this body with these thoughts mm -hmm. to then the spiritual intuition. Yes. As you've helped me understand so much, we, we often think in these, you know, black and white ways mm -hmm. and if we are souls in a body with thoughts, like where is the, where's the, the landing in the yes. middle? Yes. And that can so be. So it's very, exactly. So it's so important to first distinguish between these parts of us mm -hmm. and not just take on one aspect of the narrative and identify that's me. Or think they're going to always be merged, you know? Yeah. But to know, here's my ego Literally. and that's what it's telling me. Let me listen mm -hmm. to it. Like, and so the simplest way I could help a 16-year-old understand was in her own lingo. Like, think of your inbox, your email inbox. All of your emotions are sending you messages, constant messages. Mm -hmm. It's bombarded. But a lot of these messages are just fishing for your attention. But they really have no value to your real self. That's but beautiful. You, can you go through your inbox each day and then put them, separate those messages out into separate folders? Ones that need to be deleted that you can tell they're just fishing for your attention. Don't, don't subscribe to them. But there are mm -hmm. some messages that your emotions are bringing to you that are actually real. That are, that are wanting you to pay attention to certain things or relax into other things. Each one of your emotions is really a messenger. But cleaning up that inbox every day is important. Organizing it is important. Otherwise, it gets so filled up. So what I was dealing with with that teenager, her inbox was so filled up that she had no way of expressing that overwhelm except crying. So she was constantly mm. crying. Mm. That anxiety was building, which then brought up, those messages of shame. Right, exactly. Am I, do, am I doing enough? I'm not doing enough. Will I ever get there? And if I don't get there, I'm a failure. Right? We've all had them. Right. That's, that's the point that we want to be aware of, that we want to identify. Um, and not expect everything to be feeling good all the time. No. If we're aware of how that mind works that way and and the email that arrived, we can transform it into something good. But it's in yeah. that, that lack of awareness right prior to that. Mm -hmm. And so what you explained to 
this teenager, anybody can use. Absolutely. I'm going to use it. How was it received? Oh, beautifully. I could see her face soften. I could feel her breathing again. So I could tell. And once I checked in with her, it's like, yes, but I feel this, this like a rock at my chest. That fear can create that lock at the chest, that narrative of the ego, the messages of the ego that's so deliberate in just following its goal without really checking in with the home within. Like, mm -hmm. Is that where it's meant to be? Mm -hmm. It just sets a goal for you and then you put all your resources into that. So that closes the heart. And so that's what she felt and she felt that softened and she could feel her heart again. She could breathe and she could move her belly a little more. And so we set her up with an exercise to do. And we're going to meet back again in two weeks and see how she's okay. doing. So I have another question. Mm -hmm. And it kind of goes back in time. And that is the turning point later in life when all the outside the career, the marriage, the all of that mm. just kind of came crumbling down. There was a, a point where that curiosity, that longing for authenticity or that commitment to it yes. uh, just was a truth that revealed itself that much more or knowing it was always there. But what was that point of I am I need to go back to this or I know you said Kundalini yoga um, but describe that point which I think many people kind of linger in their whole life yeah not seeking the answer to the unanswered question yeah how did that happen for you So this little, like I said, this private little space that I had within me of curiosity, of seeking for authenticity, took a backseat to following through on the rules of culture, of society. So got married, have a kid, work hard, have a mm -hmm. career, check, 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 check. But this piece of me was so unfulfilled. And with each passing year, that unfulfillment was affecting me, both psychologically, emotionally, in how I showed up for others. It was affecting every part so of my fears. life. Yeah, fears. Yeah, but, and but self it was. Um, no, if the, the part of that I'm say talking about is that private space within me is the curiosity. Okay. Looking for authenticity, mm -hmm. and that wasn't getting fulfilled because I was making choices that society okay. makes, you know, just fit in, just fit in, do right. what is expected of you. Mm -hmm. And so this part of me was getting very, very squished. Mm -hmm. But ultimately it came to a place one day that I was, I remember distinctly, I was cleaning the, you know, how you have wardrobes with a mirror sliding door. I remember I was cleaning that mirror and I just caught a glimpse of my own eyes. 
and it scared me. And wow. I felt the light in my eyes was almost like, almost gone. I couldn't recognize myself. I didn't feel innocence in me. I, I feel like I'm a ghost. And that mm -hmm. moment was almost like it woke something up in me in defiance to everything I had set up as structure within my life that did not feel authentic. It felt good to other people. From the outside, everything was perfect. But from the inside, it was empty. And so I found through that time, there was a lot of self-work, lots was happening during that time, kind of culminating into this big pressure cooker. And mm -hmm. I found that the, the one ingredient that was missing for me in my curiosity and seeking what I was seeking was courage. Mm. I wasn't able to exercise courage to speak what I need to follow through on what I wanted. So I was simply accommodating others constantly while disapproving myself. And now that I had set those patterns, if I wasn't accommodating others, I was shamed for not doing that. You see, we, we ourselves set those patterns and then get shamed back when we try to break them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And and I I have that again a very distinct moment of realization almost like an instruction that came in from my inner teacher that said in this lifetime your goal is mastering courage. Mastering courage. You have okay. to master courage or you will keep repeating this over and over again. Mhm. Mm and that was where I changed, I started to step into things I wasn't allowed to do. That's kind of like the space and energy I lived in in my marriage. To defy that and say, no, I'm going to do a teacher training for myself. This is where I find peace. This is where I, a tiny little thing. Looking back, it was such a tiny little thing for myself. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a big ask. Mm -hmm. But even that wasn't being allowed. That because was if I that. find myself, I think somewhere quietly, we all know if, if the person we love finds themselves, they might not need us anymore. Mm -hmm. And I see that happening in so many people's lives who come to us, especially if there's a spousal dynamic. There's always this insecurity. If this other finds themselves, then that would change how much they would need me. Right. So the shaming began again. Who do you think you are? Why do you need this? Why can't you be normal? Right? So all those outer narratives began the shame. And the shame is what puts us back into that prison. In that room, right. And that bout of just that instruction from my soul, you need to master courage, was the thing that got me to actually implode my marriage, my, the, my way of living, my perfect life. It literally was something that was brewing inside. You couldn't so ignore it anymore. Thing exploded. No. So I defied everything that I was expected to be. And it was a tumultuous time for a couple of years, but it is always, it's always has to be like that because mm -hmm. until we don't disrupt the whole thing, then we, we don't know how to put the pieces back together in a way that reflects 
back to us who we are. That's authentic. And that, that's authentic. And so that's where the seeking began. And the whole thing that the way I have lived since then, I live in a, in a way of experimentation, not structure that is defined by anyone. It is my experiment with life. And I think for each of us as souls, we are all meant to have that experiment of life. So shaming is the thing that bans that experimentation. Right. It says you are not allowed to have your life. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed, like I said, Feel part of the experiment is making mistakes. Part of the experiment is encountering failure. Right. Sometimes over and over again. So when somebody tells us you're not allowed that and you're horrible because of that, shame has entered. Exactly. And we are now being pushed into that prison cell where we can't breathe. The point of transforming it is, was for me personally, was seeing the root of the fears and what I'm hearing in your experience, the root of the judgments Mm-hmm. that were being projected and, and everything that it stirred up within you, mm-hmm. that can be recognized. And when that is recognized, then it can be transformed into saying, what is this truth that's always been there that's been calling me? Yeah. And so the grace enters not the anger or the blame or the projection for what we created, but the way that you've described your journey is, is there was so much grace in having and building the courage and practicing it. Yes. And it's only then when I realized that all the people that I was provided in this life Mm -hmm. as opposition as people who were judging me or holding me back or telling me I'm not allowed, were actually the the weights I needed to build that muscle. And I'm grateful for them all now, really, truly am. And we can say in that cliche mode, they were my teachers, but Mm -hmm. they were the opposition that allowed me to build the strength over and over, to practice that courage over and over and over again. Where now it's for just your soul's journey, for my soul's journey, and in in their perspective, that's all they know, right? And that's always the dilemma of somebody who is starting to explore their spirit. They will always come against the structures of the collective consciousness. Where what I'm saying is, it's okay because that obstruction is helping you or providing you the opportunity to practice that skill of courage because courage is the only thing that allows us to break break through that prison door like just knock it down without courage we can't do that because we are ourselves the prison the prisoner the key to the prison it's all us ultimately so the courage is the only thing that just slams that door down and goes, I refuse to be in there. Refuse to be in there. And the heart opens in that That's beautiful. So I heard curiosity, 
and courage. And allowance. We're tied into one. And what? Allow, allowance. Allow. allow yourself to be as you are. And when allowance. that phase and stage of your life is over, you're done with that experience, you will move forward. So as you can see in a lot of areas of life, whether with addiction or something, there's relapses over and over again. And people say, why don't you just learn from it and don't do it again? There hasn't but it's been not a as simple. <laughs> exactly. And shame so most that, often has prevented. Yes. So that, the permission I give to some of my clients is, if this is the phase you want to roll in for a while, give yourself full permission to do it, but do it with full awareness. Take ownership of these actions. Courageous will... curiosity. Mm -hmm. And then allowance. Because when allowance. you take ownership of your actions, that is literally the catalyst for change. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's actually quite simple. There's no authority outside of us. And that is perfect because it's choosing love. We have a choice every day between love and fear or judgment. Mm -hmm. And love is the voice of the soul, of truth, of our authentic selves. Fear and judgment is our mind that's survivalist in nature and that separates us. And so mm -hmm. what you said right now, that just by keeping that simple, that simple thought in our head, that everything, that I have a choice, love or fear and judgment. You chose love. You, you, you chose love, which is a step to allowance. The step yeah, to self-forgiveness, self-compassion. Right. But I find love is a very interesting word. Mm -hmm. or ineffective word to use in that moment because when we are in that state of judgment and shame, we can't experience love. Right. So we don't know how to choose it. But love is actually not a singular thing. It's, it's a box that has many ingredients in it. Like curiosity is one of them. Okay. Courage is one of them. Allowances is one of them. Patience is one of them. Okay. Self-trust. So whichever ingredient you're able to Honesty. exercise in that moment, okay. exercise it and you will be accessing love. But I find that, that telling somebody in that state to pick love is impossible because they can't experience it. You're right. But once they, they you can give them a different thread to hold on to, which is part of love. And the steps are the courageous yes. curiosity. Yeah, be curious about patience, yourself. Yeah, the patience. The and the the middle ground. It's kind of um, it begins the allowance, but there is right. is always somewhere to start to walk out of the shame. And I love that's right that you pointed that out. Exactly. So I well, didn't feel love until I had allowed or built some of those ingredients in me. That's when I started to experience love. Not before that. Okay, our next discussion will be right on that. 
on, <laughs> no, it's such an important point. Because if we identify shame or the fears and judgments, what, what are the steps that perform? I mean, it all is being courageously curious. And is there even a step before that? You know, we don't need to over make it over technical, but yeah. any there's no order. It's not linear. But any it of the experiences, any exactly. of the, I needed, it was patience. It was humility, honesty. There's so much. Yeah. I mean, isn't that how we love. show our children love? Like we don't just say, yeah. I'm giving you love. I mean, mm -hmm. the way they experience love is when we exercise patience with them or presence with them or forgiveness with them, right? That's how they experience our love. So love is the you ultimate. Like, in them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's how they experience. So how are we doing that with ourselves? Exactly. We can keep saying that affirmation all day long. I love myself. I love myself. But if, no. if I can't allow myself to make a mistake, if I can mm -hmm. smile at my mistakes, if I can't wrap my arms around me and say, I see you. It's okay. Right. It's okay. Then it's really a word. And there's no shaming. <laughs> no. It's, it's interesting we're talking about this because the first interview um, was with my oldest son, Diego. Mm -hmm. And he explained how the scientific method can be and that he applies it to, to daily life. And it's exactly this. It's exactly the curiosity, the experimentation, the, mm -hmm. the questioning. And um, <clears throat> to get there, the self-compassion and sense of worthiness, you know, needs to be there. And it can bring up all sorts of other ways that we as parents can empower our little ones with, with like things like healthy attachment, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, things that are like, yes, seeing beyond the behavior to their feelings mm -hmm. and trying to see within them. Mm -hmm. Um, for him, I don't believe that that was possible until uh, he felt both from parents, but also within himself to parent his own his own boy. And that's where I mean, like self-compassion or love right. within can come at some point to further feed the scientific method or the curiosity to dive to dive in to ourselves and truths more so uh, next time i we're going to dive right into that going to dive good. right into maybe explaining a moment as a kid and that separation that awkwardness and then the process of of curiosity and the steps it takes to get to get to that love that's a lot to cover but it's taking it out of the shadows it's taking it out of the shadows which is what we want to do that's it and you're doing such a great job with that thank you no thank you so much priya i think the the mantra takeaway is definitely 
that you are not a body nor the thoughts your mind makes. And today, hopefully you heard some steps to get you there to that truth. Thank you so, so much. It is Thank truly so a pleasure. The outgoing song. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. No, you're amazing. And so to be continued, everybody, to be continued. Thank you so much for all the work you do. It is truly a pleasure because it's a curiosity. That's all it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> so be curious and check out Seventh Chakra Yoga Institute of Spiritual Sciences. It has a vast array of resources and trainings, and it's, it's an awesome resource, um, an awesome place to go to feed your curiosity. And... I am going, I'm introducing a song that is part of this podcast now that my brother wrote. Um, It may have been played already, yet this also is thematic um, to what we just talked about. And it's called As Big As Love. And a line in it that is so um, appropriate to explain how the culture and all those norms and all those expectations that you had couldn't, couldn't fade that curiosity for the authenticity, for the truth and for the light. And the line in the song is no shadow is as big as love. And here we go. So thank you um, so much, Priya. Thank you everybody for listening in. Be sure to subscribe and we will see you next time. Of a flame that never dies. You are not alone. If you are dealing with shame and trauma, please reach out to me through my website, nadia-davis.com. You can get a free band shame tip sheet and find out about upcoming events. I'd love it if you picked up my book, Home is Within You, wherever books are sold. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, leave a review, and make sure to follow me on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sending warm hugs. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.